You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Grace. And hey, it's Sarah. And today we're going to wrap up this kind of ish series that I've been presenting for my past couple episodes. Uh, This is that final case from the group of five from the Pittsburgh area that we've been talking about. As a reminder, these are the cases of Kathy Kelly, Shelley Reidenbach, Christine Gunther. Today, we're going to hear about Tony McNatt or Tony Chiapetta. She kind of goes by both last names. And then the fifth case that ties in here as well is Cherry Mahan, which we covered a little while back. Yeah, just making it like super clear that Sarah kind of has her own string of cases going on in Pittsburgh. (laughs) And I also have my cases in Pittsburgh, some of them that have been associated with the smiley face killers. So just to be clear, they are completely separate. They're different. Um, Yeah. And so as a reminder, the connection here between my cases is just that they are all teenage girls who went missing out of thin air. Really no explanation, not a whole lot of evidence, and all within the same time period. So that list I went through before, Kathy went missing May 22nd. Shelly went missing September 22nd. Christine went missing October 26th, and she is the one, the only one whose body was recovered. Her body was recovered on October 31st. And then today we're talking, like I said, about Tony. You'll find that the date she went missing was November 5th. That was all in 1981. And then the other case that sometimes gets thrown in here as that fifth one is, like I said before, Cherry Mahan, but she went missing February 20th. 22nd, 1985. So there is still, you know, similar time frame, same area, similar MO. However, there is, you know, a four year gap there. So a lot of people don't consider Cherry as part of this, but just in case there is any sort of connection, I want to keep the name connected. I will say my personal opinion, I don't think that this case we're talking about today is connected. I think there are other things at play here. I think this was just separate and just happened to be in the same time period. So Tony was a 14-year-old freshman ready to head off to a pep rally on Thursday, November 5th, 1981, the night before the big football game. Now, she had recently set a date with a guy from the high school for the pep rally, so they were supposed to meet up beforehand and go into the pep rally together. They had agreed to meet right around 6 p.m., kind of outside of the area of the school where the pep rally was being held. Before meeting her date, Tony did, of course, get ready at home, and then she stopped at a friend's house a little after 5.30. They did hang out just for a couple minutes, but this friend remembers Tony saying that she had to go meet her date, and so she left the house wearing a black jacket with Claritin band written on the back, Tony on the front, and with orange trim on like the cuffs and around the neck and like along the zipper and that kind of stuff. And I didn't say it before, but this was in Clareton, PA, which is close also to Pittsburgh. So we're still in that same general area. Now, like I said, she left her friend's house at 530. She was supposed to meet this date around six, but she was not seen again after leaving her friend's house a little bit after 530, unless we do believe 
one source that says she may have been seen again around 715 walking between Miller Ave and Mitchell Ave right in town, which is actually across the street from the bar that her mom worked at. So we're not 100% sure on that exact time, and we'll dive into that a little bit as we get further into the timeline. But it may be that 5.30 was the last time she was spotted at her friend's house, or potentially some witnesses claim she may have been in that area downtown around 7.15. And eyewitness testimonies are always so... Shaky. I mean, I guess not always, but they're just very hard. People's memories can be affected so easily. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And I mean, it could be that someone saw her before going to the pep rally. And then, you know, by the time investigators were asking people, this person may have said, Well, I know it was outside of the pep rally, but was I on my way there or was I on my way home? Right. And You know, you might just say, like, I must have been on my way home. And, you know, so, okay, that would be 715. But, you know, maybe you saw her on the way there and you just totally misremembered. So, yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, I can have a totally false memory of something even from like a week ago. And my brain is convinced that Mm -hmm. this is what happened, but that's not what happened. So yeah, tricky. Yeah. So now before we dive too far into the details of the case, I do want to talk a little bit about who Tony was as a person. As I said earlier, she was 14 years old. She was a freshman. So as a 14 year old entering high school, she really was in a point in her life where she was experiencing a ton of changes, not only, you know, as a teenager and the physical changes you go through, but socially, you know, you're a freshman, it's a new school, you kind of get that opportunity to almost start new, right? Leaving middle school, going to high school, there's that little bit of hope maybe that if there's something you want to change or something you want to start doing that you weren't doing before, it's an easy turn of the page to try to start something new. And whenever she, of course, was deciding what she wanted to do and where she wanted to go and getting excited for high school, as many teenagers do, she was also frequently bickering with her 17-year-old sister, Roxanne, which, yeah, same. I was 13, my brother was 17, and 100% bickering nonstop, fighting in the bathroom every morning, you know, wanting to get to the sink before the other person. And from what I'm reading in different stories that I'm hearing about Tony, that's exactly what it was like in the mornings with Tony and Roxanne trying to get ready before school. Now, her friends then describe her as a happy girl who was just fun to hang out with. She never really seemed to be super down in the dumps about anything or like anything crazy was going on. She did spend a lot of time with her friends and she really seemed to enjoy being with them. But unlike most of her friends, she really didn't want to grow up or move into adulthood too quickly. Now, I don't mean like she was immature, but she really was just enjoying her youth. Sure. You know, her friends always talked about when I grow up and when I grow up and, you know, these different plans they had. And she was really all about just kind of living in the moment and enjoying her teenage years, which honestly, I wish I would have done a little bit more of. Yeah, right. I feel like I just tried to charge through those years. They were rough. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to high school or my high school with the people I went to high school (laughs) with. But yeah, if I could get back some of my hours as a teenager, I'd take it. Sure. 
Now, she did not wear a whole lot of makeup. She really didn't go to parties, but she loved working bingo at a church two nights a week, and she would babysit a lot for the local families. And that's a detail that kind of comes back up as we start to talk about more of what's happening in the case and in the theories. So keep that in the back of your mind. She really just seems like she was that girl who always had her head on right. Like she knew what she was doing. She knew what she wanted to do in the future, but she wasn't wishing away her life. She was just enjoying it. Good for her. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, she was planning to try out for the majorettes. And as part of that, she was always outside twirling her baton, just trying to get every little move perfect and be able to to get on the majorettes as a freshman. So that's a little bit about her. And now we're going to kind of flash back to where we were November 5th, 1981. I did already mention here that she was with a friend at their home and that she left the friend's home right around 5.30. She was supposed to meet her date at 6 to go into the pep rally together. But despite waiting until about 6.15, he never saw her and just decided to go into the pep rally on his own, thinking, you know, maybe she wound up coming with friends and they just went in together, or maybe she forgot and, you know, was doing something else and just forgot to tell him, but maybe her friends would know. So he made his way into the pep rally, but he couldn't find her and none of her friends that he ran into had seen her. But ultimately, they weren't overly concerned. They just kind of figured, you know, something must have come up and, you know, we weren't living in the age of iPhones. So, you know, she couldn't just send a text of, hey, I have to do this. I won't be able to make it. And because she was really responsible, they didn't really think twice about it. They just assumed something came up. We'll talk to her in school tomorrow or Monday or, you know, whenever we see her again. They definitely did not expect her reason for not showing to be a complete disappearance and that they'd never see her again. Yeah. Why would you ever expect that? Yeah. So Tony's dad, Sam Chiapetta, got home that evening around 6 p.m., which was pretty normal based on his schedule. Based on what he told police, she was not there whenever he got home, but that was to be expected because he knew that she was supposed to be at the pep rally. So as the sun started to set and darkness was creeping over the town, Sam started to get a little bit more worried. Pep rally's over. She really should be home by now. It's getting dark. I'm a little concerned. He did have a hint of a thought that maybe she offered to babysit for someone, right? Because like I said, she was so prone to babysitting for the neighbors. You know, maybe she offered to babysit for someone that really wanted to go to the pep rally. And that was the kind of thing she would do. You know, she would give up her own plans to allow someone else an experience that they were really excited for. But ultimately, we end up finding out she wasn't babysitting for anyone. They do go around to the neighbors a little bit later on and, you know, get everyone's statements and no one had spoken to her about babysitting or had seen her or anything like that. Now, Tony's mom, like I said, worked at a bar. She was a bartender. So she got home from work around 7.30 that evening. And at that point, she was so worried sick that Tony wasn't home that she went right back out to her car and was driving up and down every street she could 
just looking for anyone who might look like Tony or one of her friends that, you know, she could stop and try to figure out where Tony was. How long was the pep rally supposed to be? Because if she was meeting her date at six and her parents are freaking out by 730, I'm assuming very close. I'm thinking like half an hour or an hour. Yeah. Um, Or maybe she had an earlier curfew. Mm-hmm. Because I had that thought as well with the timing. Like, I figure if you're meeting a date at six, what time does the pep rally start? Like, does it just start at six, maybe? And, you know, it's you're just kind of walking in as it starts. I mean, yeah, my anxiety doesn't let me do that with events. But I know plenty of people that, you know, can walk in right on time. I have to be there seven and a half hours early with 15 changes of clothing. because. <laughs> you know, something might happen. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I'm assuming maybe an hour. And if it wasn't that far from her house, you know, maybe they were expecting her home by seven. Sure. I, yeah, I couldn't find anything more. Um, And as we get more details, we might start to understand a little bit more of why the time frame is so weird. Okay. So, but like I said, so Audrey, her mom, starts driving up and down every street she can. At this point, it is pouring down rain. So that adds another layer of complication to seeing somebody because it's dark and raining. Sure. Um, but now also as a parent, if your kid's out there, you don't know where your kid is. Now your kid is stranded in the rain. Mm-hmm. So your anxiety is also going up even higher, I'm sure. And she is still pretty young i realize the 80s was a little bit yeah. of a different time but you know 14's pretty but, young i mean yeah yeah she wasn't driving so you know she couldn't like get in a car and go somewhere so that's still young enough to me yeah <laughs> for sure during the same time that audrey's driving up and down the streets sam starts going door to door trying to see if maybe tony went to a neighbor's house trying to see if someone saw her any details he could get and With no information surfacing at that point, they had no choice but to call the police. So then the morning after she went missing, kind of, you know, that that standard trope, give it the night, sleep a little bit, get up at the crack of dawn, and you start looking as soon as there's daylight to use to find her. That's really exactly how it went. Um, Police and community members started searching the area, really just hoping to find any sign of where she could have gone, a shoe or a keychain or, you know, anything that they could find to tie to her. And they were searching woods and streams and they went around interviewing every neighbor they could find in her neighborhood, in neighboring neighborhoods, which feels like a weird phrase to say. But they just kept trying and trying and trying. After all of this, they do confirm that she never made it to the pep rally. After talking to the date, the friends, the friend whose house she was at, family members, other people at the pep rally, they're able to determine she was seen at 5.30 and she did not make it to the pep rally by 6. So we're working with that half an hour at this point. So my next note, I have to say, the police captain in charge was named Detective Scully. And I am too much of a Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan for that to go unnoticed. Yes. Agreed. So we have our own Detective Scully on the case. He is the Clareton Police Department captain. And unlike Detective Scully in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Captain William Scully here was very vigilant in trying to work and find whatever he could 
Um, and as we did see with pretty much every theory of a missing person ever covered ever, the first theory was that Tony had run away, right? She's Always. 14. She can, like you said, she's young, but if she has to, she can survive on her own. Like, you know, she's not five. So, you know, that was just the assumption. Why else would she be gone? So honestly, thinking about it from that investigative standpoint, nobody saw anything. She was in a highly populated area, right? There's a bunch of people going to this pep rally. And this thought is out there that there's no way someone could have taken her without noticing. Right. right? How do you just snag someone in the middle of a crowd in a small town where everybody knows everybody? Yeah. Right. It's different in like, you know, Disney or something. Right. Because everyone's a stranger. But in this small town, everyone knows everyone. So how how is it even possible that that happened? And that's really where the idea of this runaway came from. Mainly the fact that there was no evidence. Right. But there was also no evidence to support the runaway theory. So the runaway theory um, does stick around for a little while. And part of it really is that Scully said, even though her parents swore up and down, you know, she's a great girl. She would never run away. There are things teenagers don't tell their parents. For sure. That's true. And we see that a lot in these cases. And I know we've talked about it before where, you know, we talk about the idea of they would never do this or, you know, my son would never or my daughter or my best friend. And in reality, unless you are that person, you can't know for sure. There's always a part that people don't show. And you always want to believe the family and the parents and yes. what they say, of course. And I'm sure they know their relatives, their children very well. It's yeah. just, you know, in reality, like you said, there could be something that that person's holding back. It's always a possibility. Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit more as well. But there are multiple claims of domestic abuse within the household. Okay. Um, among other abuses in the household. So as details start to come out, there is this thought growing of maybe she did run away. Like that could be her motive. She wanted out. Right. And she was otherwise a great young woman who had a great head on her shoulders, which would kind of make it easier for her to run away if she had to. That's fair. So not saying that she did run away, obviously, but really most of the time, when I see investigators say it's a runaway, I'm kind of like, nah, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I can really see what his argument was because there is zero evidence. Right. There's nothing. So how do you assume abduction, you know? Yeah. Okay. Stepping off that soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> now, that all being said, knowing that Scully's primary theory was she may have run away they absolutely investigated this as if it was an abduction. Good. They went forward with trying to locate, you know, getting her description out there. If Amber Alert had existed at that point, you know, that would have been pushing that sort of thing out. So they weren't really looking for something to point one way or another. They just wanted something. Well, that's good. They wanted anything because they had nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's not good that they had nothing, but... Right. A lot of the times it it seems that detectives kind of start with an idea 
um, at least right. in some of the cases that we've covered. And they kind of go after yeah. that idea. But when you're going at it with such an open mind. Right. Well, and honestly, with the way that the American court system is set up, you kind of have to, if you're involved in law, you kind of have to pick one thing right. and then find the evidence to support it. Right. So I think that's probably why we see that so much. I mean, I think it's rare that we find a case that we're covering where there's nothing. Yeah, that's and so true. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I fully agree. We do see a lot that they tend to find one theory and kind of try to build on that specifically, right. at least from, you know, the outsider point of view. Exactly. Sorry, I lost my place. Um, okay, so now in continuing efforts to try to figure out where Tony was, um, Sam's job comes into play. Now, Tony's dad, Sam, was a truck driver for the United Transfer Company, and that was a smaller company that was related to United Vans Incorporated. Now, his boss at United Transfer Company contacted the head of the parent company, and they were able to get flyers sent out to all of the company's drivers. So there were over 3,000 drivers with the company who now all had flyers with her name and picture and description, and they were all across the country. They were Maine to California. So they really had the numbers on their side. Like, we've got all these people looking for her. We're going to find her. After over 200 leads came in, investigators were back where they started with absolutely zero evidence. And that has to be frustrating as an investigator. 200 leads. Nothing. Uh, you might talk about this um, a little further in, but just saying that her dad is a truck driver and I'm not saying he had anything to do with it, but just knowing that, you know, that network has been associated with trafficking just because, you know, it is a very large network and I don't want to give truckers a bad name or anything. Sorry, Brendan. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> not at all. It's just, you know, when you see that in a missing persons case, it just kind of right. makes you pause. Yeah. Um, now, I will say. What I'm understanding about Sam's position and the fact that multiple articles said he was always home right around six at night, I'm thinking that he was not an over-the-road driver. Right. Okay. Um, So he was probably more like what my husband does, where, you know, he just goes on a singular run sure. at a certain time. And I think maybe part of why, as far as I know, his trucking career never was looked into as part of this, probably because he was, you know, like gone when she went missing. Okay. So like it wasn't, you know, he wasn't, I mean, he would have been on his way home, but I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe. I'm not even, not even saying it has anything to do with him. I mean, it could be yeah, someone that's that true. works with him, but that's, those are just my thoughts. Yeah. yeah. We can, we can definitely think about that when we look at some of the theories and some of the information that comes in later. So after, you know, knocking out those 200 leads and finding nothing, not only were they back to the drawing board, but Scully also decided to set down his theory of Tony being a runaway. He said there were just way too many character witnesses that attested to her responsibility, honesty, and dependability 
for her to have run away, even in that slight chance that, you know, that's something that the teenager would hide from the parent. Um, And really, with everything I read about Tony, it really doesn't seem like a runaway. But again, nobody fully knows anybody else. True. So it's still a possibility, but detectives took it off the table as a major possibility. Sorry, but isn't that a crime junkie rule (laughs) that you never know anybody? Is it? I have not listened to Crime Junkie in so long. Yeah. The only one I remember is Be Weird, Be Rude, Stay Alive. I love that too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think you're right. I think there's something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So because Sam was a truck driver, like we talked about, anytime he was out, if he was stopping to fuel up, if he was stopping for food, if he was stopped along the side of the road and a tow truck had to come help him out, whatever, he was showing Tony's picture to everyone. He was trying to get any information he could. There were a couple times that he got some leads on towns that she may have been near, but he was never able to track her down and get concrete evidence that she really was anywhere specific weirdly, he would willingly speak to reporters and he would tell reporters that the story needs to get out. They can quote him. They can use his name. They can put all of this out front page, find my daughter, which kudos to him, but he would not let anyone take his photo. Hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Sure. But it, it just seems like interesting that you know, oh, yeah, here, put put my information out, my name here. You know, if you know anything, you can get in contact with me. And but he didn't want his picture out. So it is they pointed it out in one of the articles. And I thought that was interesting. I could see it if it's maybe like a personal preference. Like, I don't think that I'm very photogenic. Yeah. So if I if this were to happen to me, I'd be like, That's why fair. bother taking my picture? I don't like to see it or whatever and it's not about me anyway it's about my kids so print that picture that's that's fair that's just yeah me projecting but (laughs) yeah no I mean I I can totally understand that you know don't print my picture because you're talking to me yeah print pictures of my daughter so people see her face Mm -hmm. and find her yeah so this whole cycle I guess we can call it just continued for years with absolutely no progress being made Investigators worked the case until 1985 when the city ran out of money and they had to completely disband its police force. Holy cow. Um, Yeah. They also had to, they had a paid fire company previously and they had to renege on salaries. So there were firemen that stayed on a voluntary basis, Mm -hmm. but they were no longer able to pay for a police force or firefighters, which... Happens in a lot of small towns sure. in PA. I mean, like the town I grew up in, where the town I got married in, you know, that fire company has always been volunteer. And we lost our last bit of police force in like 2013. And PSP is just in charge of the town because right. we just couldn't afford to keep the the police on anyway sorry when they had to disband the police force just like i described with my hometown it did turn everything over to psp in clareton as well while they do have great troopers and they have awesome investigators and they have great technology they also have a very large caseload so this was really discouraging to the family i mean you went from a small town police force that knew everybody to Now the state troopers are handling it in addition to the other hundreds of thousands of cases that they handle. 
Eventually, the Clareton Police Department did come back in 1992, but the state police remained the investigators for Tony's case. I guess just because it's cold and maybe the lack of evidence. Um, right. Kind of like why bother transferring it if we have not right. seen any new evidence in all that time. Right. And if new evidence were to come up, Clareton police has said they would just turn it right over to PSP. There's not like a jurisdiction battle gotcha. going on. So that's kind of the the big chunk of information of what went down and what the investigation has looked like. So at this point, we're going to transition a little bit into theories. And this is where I think what you were mentioning earlier with the idea of truckers or a trucker friend or something may come into play. So the first theory here is that Sam is involved. He is considered a possible suspect, whether it is abduction or homicide, which actually, depending where you look, this case is classified differently. The more official sites, things like NamUs, Crime Watch PA, those sorts of sites all list her as abducted, okay. I believe. There are a couple places that list it as non-familial homicide. Interesting. I think was the term or non-familial abduction. It was one of those two. And there were other sources that listed it as likely homicide or unresolved homicide or something. But her body has never been found. So we can't really call it a homicide. Um, So there's a lot of different... It, classifications if they're if on the state police site if they have her case listed as like a cold i know some of them have like cold case at least counties right. sometimes have the cold cases listed and i did not what even think they're um kind of labeled as status. but okay i'm not sure yeah so just there's that whole idea comes up a couple times as well so just kind of throwing that out but sam is considered a possible suspect again of whatever acts occurred due to prior domestic violence and sexual abuse incidents in the home. I am not going to go into detail, but there is some detail that came from one of her siblings regarding some specific incidents of abuse, enough that I feel confident saying I truly believe that abuse was going on in the house. Like, I don't think it's just hearsay based on what the siblings are all corroborating each other with that's so sad i hate it it's i mean that seems like a really stupid thing to say like obviously i hate child abuse but it yeah i just absolutely hate that people have had to endure this now before tony went missing she did stay with her grandmother for a time um because she didn't want to be home now that was in august and september of 81 so she goes missing november 5th august into september i think it was five or six weeks She was staying with her grandparents. Okay. So just whatever that does for your brain, there's that piece of information there. Police did interview Sam and he did fail a polygraph, which again, that just means that he showed possible signs of deception, which, okay, like if my child was missing, I don't have a child, but like if my, one of my nephews was missing or my niece, my heart rate and blood pressure would be so through the roof that if you questioned me... I'm sure I would look deceptive on some of the questions, too, because I'd be all over the place. So, meh. Um, when it comes to polygraph, it's hit or miss. Sure. And also, if they were asking questions about abuse and he was abusing her and lying about 
that. So true. it doesn't necessarily mean yeah. he did he abducted did her, to her or right. killed her. It could just be that he was trying to hide the abuse. So, you know, we don't right. even know what questions were asked. So it's hard. It's always yeah. hard to say with polygraphs. Very true. So ultimately, there was never enough evidence to indict him. There was more evidence than they had seen before. And by that, I mean, there was one piece of evidence mm. that he was abusive. Sure. Like, but it when you've got this case that has nothing, you're going to cling to something that has one or two pieces. Now, there is a little bit more that goes into this. Months after Tony disappeared, her mom, Audrey, came back to police in April of 82 um, to admit that she had withheld some information during initial testimony. The night that Tony went missing, when her mother got home, she found Tony's blouse hanging on the line in the basement, soaking wet. I don't like that. From what I understand. Yeah, I don't I like, don't it like that. From what I understand, laundry was in the basement, which included like a drying line sure. for like delicates. Um, so that's why it was on a line in the basement. This then led investigators to believe that maybe Tony came back after her shirt got wet. Like I said, it was storming later on in that night. Maybe the storm hit before the pep rally started. She got soaked. Oh, no, I'm supposed to meet my date. I look like crap now. You know, run home quick, change, leave the house again. Maybe. So there are, you know, these ideas that maybe she came back to change. And then after she got home, something happened, whether her father was there this is total speculation, but some form of abuse occurred that maybe went too far. Maybe she said something that he took wrong and, you know, reacted to. Maybe he wasn't involved. That's just kind of a thought there that she went back to the house and, you know, maybe Sam was there and something happened. Or she went home, changed, and then just left again and something happened after she left again. Right. Now, her mother said that she withheld this information because she was so terrified of Sam and she was afraid of what he might do if she told police about the shirt. So I take that to mean that Sam also knew the shirt was there and that he also then withheld that. Yeah, that's what I would assume. But there's no proof that Sam knew that that was there. So it it just gets sketchy around whatever happened in the house. And unfortunately, we just don't know those details. Withholding that information could have screwed up his uh, test as well. His polygraph. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So this is kind of one other connection that I can kind of see with Tony and these other girls that we've talked about in the previous cases. There were a couple other situations of some abuse. And, you know, I really, like I said, I don't think I would connect them all in the information that I have seen of them. But there definitely are some similarities with abuse and maybe running away from an abuser or an outside force that knew there was an abuser and took advantage of an abused person. My biggest hope is that she was trying to run away and she survived and got herself a new identity and is alive somewhere today happy. But I always say that and I feel like that's not very often the case. I just like to think that's how every missing person's case <laughs> turns out. Everyone is somewhere yeah. else and very happy. Yeah. 
Here is that note I found about abduction. Her case classification is listed as non-family abduction. All that means is that we do not know if it was for sure a custodial abduction. It very well still could have been a family member. We just don't have enough proof, but it is being listed as an abduction. Okay. That's what it was earlier. Gotcha. Helps if I read my notes instead of trying to predict what I wrote (laughs) last week. Crazy how that works. So if we move on from Sam, take a look at some other options. This next one is a theory that they looked at. It is most likely not true. They have pretty much dismissed the theory, but it's out there. There is a thought maybe a convicted abuser named Dean Maxson was involved. In 2001, he was accused and pled guilty to raping a woman in her home. Um, He was a municipal worker who had been called to the woman's home to fix part of the sewage system and he yeah so he did confess immediately and he was then also considered to be a potential suspect in tony's case from two decades earlier tony and her family knew dean again he was a municipal worker everyone in that town pretty much knew each other so it would make it look if he had abducted her as if she may have just been getting in a car with someone she knew because she may not have been fighting him. He denied this up and down in every direction. And there was never any evidence that came out and supported it. But there are some people who still believe that she was just an early victim and he was not caught until after the rape of that woman. So it doesn't sound super likely to me, but that is scary to think that she would have considered him a trustworthy person and then he does something so monstrous. It it underlines what we said before, that you never really know someone, and that's very scary. Well, and not that I ever want to defend a rapist, but he may have been a very different person in her childhood. 20 years can change a lot. So maybe he was trustworthy (laughs) when she was a child. Sure. And, you know, just was a... being later okay so then this next theory can kind of tie back to sam and this is an idea that maybe a neighbor was involved so their neighbor was a convicted uh pedophile oh god and he was yeah he was part of you know megan's law wasn't a thing yet but like everybody knew he was open about the fact that he had been arrested on certain charges and it must not have been a physical charge or something that parents were okay with living near him but apparently they thought he was a decent dude or at least sam thought he was a decent dude Hmm. and again i don't know the the details of his conviction i mean for all i know it was You know, he was 25 and he had a 17-year-old girlfriend. Sure. Less creepy than like a 50-year-old trying to, you know, lure a five-year-old or something. So I don't know the details of that, but the neighbor was a convicted pedophile. And I did find a couple sources that talked about the fact that the McNatt Chiapetta home had a deck on the back and the deck was kind of like falling off the house. So they decided instead of rebuilding the deck, because then it's just going to fall off the house again, they were just going to pour like a patio, like a concrete patio. Okay. So there's a theory that either this neighbor or Sam or both of them were involved in the death of Tony. 
And in this theory, it is absolutely certain that she would have died and that they were planning on pouring the concrete the next day. So they buried her under the old deck so that when they poured the concrete, um, it would conceal her. Now, that being said, they did pour concrete the next day. However, this was also a project that had been planned. So, you know, they had been working on it. It wasn't just like, you know, oh, I was, you know, drunk and made this mistake and now I need to cover it up. Right. Like, if it... If it was a mistake, then it was suspiciously timed. Or it was very, very well planned. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I don't think it could be a coincidence if this theory is what actually happened. Right. But if the goal, you know, was to take care of something and then, you know, kill her, bury her, if they're already planning on pouring the concrete the next day, there's kind of an easy way in their minds to get rid of it. What we do know there is the deck came off, a patio was poured, and the neighbor helped. Those are facts. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest is speculation. Sure. So, you know, it's quite possible that the neighbor was just being a good dude and helping out with the project. I don't quite understand the timeline because it says they poured the concrete the next day, but they were also supposedly out checking for her all the next day. So I'm not sure if maybe Sam was out looking for her and the neighbor was pouring the concrete. Um, I couldn't find those kind of details. So there's a little bit of a mishmash there. But right. again, it's two people doing two things. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't have those details to confirm it. Almost to the end here of the theories. So the next one here is like I kind of wished earlier that she actually did run away. There are claims, like I mentioned before, that Tony was seen walking beyond the high school that Thursday night at that intersection that I mentioned um, where she was seen right around 715. So police, like I said before, were not able to corroborate those stories. They weren't able to actually place her there other than one or two stories that didn't even line up exactly. But they also were not able to negate it. You know, they didn't. There was nobody that said she wasn't there. There just weren't a whole lot of people there. So, you know, again, one of these situations where they just don't have what they need. So this is still considered a theory But it is important to note that, like I said before, she had previously run away to her grandmother's house, eventually returning home. Maybe this time she ran away and finally got out. So that's kind of the prevailing desire of a lot of people um, looking on like Reddit and web sleuths and Facebook, the things we get yelled at for all the time. It's it seems like that is the prevailing desire. Sure. Um, like we talked about as always. Yeah. You want it to be the good news. Now, this next one we've kind of already talked about, but I'm just going to mention it. The idea of it being an unknown abductor. Like I said before, it's pretty much an ignored theory only because there's really no way in the minds of investigators that someone could have abducted her and have not been seen. Right. Um, She'd be struggling and there's all these people around... Right. Like, I mean, I think of my high school and if I was walking around the outside of my high school, someone would see something, you know, like it's a small town, but there's enough people there that at a school event like that, someone would see something. Sure. Now, the thought is basically that someone kind of snuck her away from the crowds of people, either luring her with something or someone she knew, whether it was a person she knew that said, hey, come with me. 
or someone else, you know, knew the name of a sibling and said, hey, this sibling is in trouble. Can you come? You know, whatever it was, the thought is that maybe they use something like that to get her to go with them so that to anyone looking at it from the outside, it would look as if she was moving willingly because she was. She was just lied to about where she was going. So like I said, if that happened, there wouldn't have been any sort of big scene that would be noticed by onlookers. From there, it would explain why she wasn't seen or heard or, you know, any big commotion was noticed. And like I said earlier, some sources do consider this to be a homicide instead of a missing persons case because of this idea that, you know, we've never seen or heard from her again. So they consider it a homicide. The assumption is pretty much made that a stranger abducted her and then killed her because why would someone abduct her and then let her live is kind of the the thought process. So it's a small town. Pretty much everyone knows everybody. There are some people that have said they have seen her, whether that's accurate or not. But it doesn't sound like anyone said they saw her with a stranger. Like, I feel like even if right. at the time it didn't catch your attention, if you're thinking back to later, right. you'd probably be like, oh, you know what? I saw her with someone I've never seen before or something like that. Right. It, that just doesn't really pan out for me. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. But I mean, like I've said a thousand times, there's no evidence yeah. uh, to support the idea that she's deceased. So um, as far as we know, she could still be alive um now there is a theory from her sister her sister um, one of her sisters does lean towards this idea of an unknown abductor remember that it was raining that night so her sister is quoted as theorizing quote i think someone maybe saw her in the rain offered her a ride and she went with them end quote. I could see that. Final thoughts here. To wrap it up, I'm going to quote another one of Tony's sisters. Um, she said, quote, after a few years, I realized she was not coming back. I'd like to know where she's at. I believe her remains are around this area. Somebody in this town knows something. End quote. That just like hits me. Which is, like, I realize yeah. she's not coming back. Like, I, oh my God. Like, I only have and one sister, so if I, like, lost her, I'd, like, lose everything. But, like, yeah. I can't even imagine. And it, it really seems like, from what the family has said, what the siblings have said, and her sisters are quoted in numerous articles that are linked on our blog if you guys want to dig a little bit deeper and read more about what her siblings are saying, but... It really seems like they've accepted that she has passed. They just want that closure. They want to be able to bury her body yeah. with the family. Of course. Both of her parents have since passed. So at this point, it is just the siblings and they just really want answers. Oh, man. So if you do happen to have any information, you can contact Pennsylvania State Police at 412-929-6262. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme 
music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.